This is Reimagine Law, a podcast about legal education and careers to help students navigate their career choices. Welcome to Reimagine Law. Today, Fran and I are delighted to be joined by James Harper, Director, Global Legal at LexisNexis. And James is also executive sponsor of The Rule of Law. And so Fran, I know we're both delighted to have James here with us today. So let me hand over to you to get started. Absolutely, it's brilliant to have James. Multiple people told me before I met James that he was such an expert on the rule of law. So it's great to be able to welcome you today. Uh, James, perhaps we could start with um, a really basic question for listeners. What is the rule of law? Thanks very much, Fran. And first of all, thank you very much for having me. It's a real pleasure to be with you. Um, So what is the rule of law? Fascinating question. At its simplest, very basic concept is everyone is equal under the law. So that means no matter who you are, whether you're the king, queen, prime minister, president, or the ordinary person in the street, the law applies to you exactly the same. So we're all equally um, subject to the law. Now that's that base concept and uh, it has a few more limbs. So we tend to define um, the rule of law by four elements. The first is, is that one that I've mentioned, everyone is equal under the law. The second is that everyone should have access to the law. You need to know what the law says. If you don't know what it says, you can't comply with it and you can't use it to protect your rights. The third is that it needs to be administered by an impartial judiciary. That one's a little bit more of a mouthful, but the concept is fairly straightforward. You need judges that are interpreting the law purely on their facts and not subject to government oversight or corruption. They're really, really just trying to work out what is right or wrong under the law. And the final element is that everyone needs to have access to legal remedy, sometimes called access to justice. I try to avoid that term when I can, although I slip quite often, because justice can be a very subjective concept. What I'm talking about by access to legal remedy as well is not just a a question of litigation in the courts, it's access to your legal rights. So that could be your right to certain welfare benefits. It could be your right to fair employment practices. Any of those things which are a right under the law should be protected and you should be able to access that protection. So when we talk about the rule of law, we mean those four things. Everyone is equal under the law. Everyone should have access to the law. It should be administered by an impartial judiciary and everyone should have access to legal remedy. Brilliant. Um, And when people hear that, they might think there's a sort of crossover there with with human rights. Can you explain the difference between the two? Yeah, so it's really interesting because human rights and the rule of law are often intertwined when people talk about um, these concepts. Um, And while they have a lot of similarities, I think there's an important distinction that needs to be made. As a concept, that concept I talked about, about everyone being equal under the law, um, it dates back to um, something like 1780 BC and the Code of Hammurabi. So a code that was handed down by the Babylonian kings that the kings should be subject to the law the same as their people. So that's a concept that we still strive for almost 4,000 years later. Human rights, by contrast, change and flux over time. So something that is considered a human right today may not have been considered a human right 50 years ago, 100 years ago. If we whiz forward 20 to 30 years into the future, there will be other human rights which we aren't really thinking about now. Let me give you an example. Um, The right to equal access to the internet is not considered a human right today. But you can imagine the way our society is developing that 
if access to the internet is so important and so pervasive as it's becoming, then you need to have free access and fair access for everyone. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to have a bank account. You might not be able to access certain welfare benefits. You might not be able to access other elements of everyday life. So those human rights change in flux over time. The concept of the rule of law stays pretty static. And it is that concept of the rule of law that gives power to human rights. Yeah, you can see how the two are intertwined and support each other, but still have that, that difference. I, I think there's another element to it as well, which is really important, is when you're talking about the human rights or about the rule of law, sorry, internationally, human rights can become very political. It can be quite divisive. Uh, and yet the rule of law isn't. It's, it's completely apolitical. It's a concept that doesn't have politics in its mind. Uh, and therefore, if you can take out human rights from it, it becomes increasingly less controversial. People aren't concerned about this concept that everyone should be equal under the law um, because it isn't as, uh, as challenging to some people's mindsets as human rights can be, rightly or wrongly. Yeah, yeah, that's a, a really interesting point, actually. You can see examples of that in the news all the time that, that, that come up. Um, okay, so we've talked about it on a, at a human level or a kind of individual level. Can we look at it a bit more from a business level? Why should businesses or companies care about the rule of law? So one of the things that LexisNexis does is it places the rule of law at the heart of its strategy. It's our central objective uh, as an organisation to advance the rule of law around the world. It's, it's right at the core of our DNA. Uh, and many companies will have that kind of central purpose that they believe in. They might be an environmental purpose. It might be a human rights purpose, as we've discussed. Um, and it's very easy to say, oh, well, you know, you kind of have to do that. You're a business. You have to have a bit of a, a strap line that you believe in. Um, but we come at it from two angles. The first is that it's fundamentally the right thing to do, because if the rule of law doesn't exist, then all other rights and powers in society cease to exist. But we've also taken a step further and proved that there is a link between adherence to the rule of law and economic prosperity. So we created something called the Rule of Law Impact Tracker, which your listeners can go and Google. It's freely available online. Um, and what we did is we took data um, from the World Justice Project, who have mapped and created an index of rule of law compliance of countries around the world. And then we have mapped on top of that various socioeconomic measures to show what the correlation is between the rule of law and those measures. One of them is GDP per capita, so gross domestic product. I am far from an economist, but the one, one thing I do know is that that's a basic measure of economic prosperity. And if you map a country's GDP against its rule of law score, you see a direct correlation between those countries with a high protection of the rule of law and high GDP. And likewise, you see countries with a low protection for the rule of law have a low GDP. In other words, where the rule of law is strong and protected, economic prosperity is higher. So why should businesses care about the rule of law? Well, fundamentally, we need economies to prosper in order to do business. There was a study done relatively recently of um, CEOs of the FTSE 100 about the key considerations that they take when they are making investments and planning their strategies around the world. And I think it was for the vast majority, if not all of them, the rule of law was in their top three. So it's critical 
for businesses to be thinking about how the rule of law is protected. And you can also imagine that mapping exercise as well um, being done, maybe on the same map with, with human rights protections as well, to see if there's a similar correlation there. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think the, the two, as we say, go hand in hand and are, and are fundamentally intertwined. Um, what, one... One challenge with that is concepts of protection of human rights are slightly more advanced in some, some territories than others. But again, that concept of the rule of law is, is pretty universal. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, so if our listeners are sitting here thinking, I want to get involved, I want to somehow support the rule of law in, in my everyday work or education or my career, um, have you got any top tips for how the listeners can support the movement yeah absolutely i think there's three things that i would think about um the first two are, are kind of interlinked um the first one is to be intellectually curious i, I think that's generally a good tip for any um prospective lawyer or, or or junior lawyer or anyone in in any profession really um just be intellectually curious about what's going on around you um Day to day, there are rule of law issues occurring, and it's very easy to allow them to pass by and to not question them or try and understand why there's a challenge there. Why is someone getting so excited about a particular topic and trying to unpick it and understand it with that rule of law framework uh, as the concept that you look at these problems, uh, problems with? So that's the first one. The second is then to be slightly brave, and this is sometimes the harder step, but talk to people about it. Have the debate and the discussion with your friends. If you've educated yourself just a tiny amount on how important the rule of law is and what it means, to then unpick these daily issues and say, well, actually, we should be concerned about this, or we should kind of comment on that or ask our MP about that or question whether this or that is the right kind of behaviour that we want to see either from our governments or our institutions. Um, that can be difficult because, you know, fundamentally the things you don't talk about around the dinner table, religion, politics, but actually furthering that discussion and that debate helps to educate everyone around us. Uh, and the final thing I'd say is, it's almost rather blithely, but get involved. Um, it's easier said than done. I appreciate that. But the sooner in your career you start to get involved with something that advances the rule of law, the easier it will be to carry that on throughout your career. Now, for lawyers, that may well be volunteering in legal clinics um, or doing pro bono work, um, that kind of thing. And so it's quite easy for lawyers to go, right, I'll go and volunteer some of my time to use my skills. I'd hasten to add, by the way, that you don't have to use the skills that you've got in the area that you practised it's very easy to support in a pro bono clinic setting in an area that you're not an expert in, because even if you're not an expert, the chances are you have some skills that are transferable and you're in a far better position than the person who's going to come in and need your help. That was certainly my experience of early days of volunteering in pro bono in an area that was completely different to my practice. Um, but the other part is if you're not a lawyer or you're in a, a, a team that supports lawyers, you can still go out and use your skills. So, for example, at LexisNexis, we have a ton of technologists. Right? They are IT professionals, they're coders, they're developers, they're UX specialists. They're not lawyers, but we use their skills to go and create products that help to support and advance the rule of law. So they can get involved as well. Any person can go and use those skills that they've got. If you're fantastic at admin, 
and supporting a clinic, helping them to run the clinic. If you're fantastic at technology, let's see if there's a technology project that you can get involved in. There are all sorts of areas where you can go and lend your expertise. So they would be my, my three tips, being intellectually curious, getting involved and, and making sure you carry on that conversation with your friends. Yeah, I mean, I suspect a lot of our listeners are much more social media savvy as well than certainly people like me. So, you know, those kind of things can be really helpful for small organisations as well. So it's a really great point, James. Okay, so James, I'd like to play a little quiz with you, if I may. <laughs> um, sorry to spring this on you out of the blue. No, I love a quiz. <laughs> I've been having a look at the news this week um, and today, and I've picked three random news stories. And what I was really hoping we could do with you on the podcast was to challenge you a little bit to see how each of these news stories might relate to the rule of law. Just to you know, show our listeners how we can start that discussion, that debate that, that you mentioned that your your tip number two. So, are you up for the challenge? Definitely. That sounds perfect. <laughs> You're exactly the kind of guest we like. <laughs> okay, so let's start with number one. Um, so this week, in fact yesterday, uh, the government announced um, that the previous plans to extend the high-speed rail line that listeners might have heard being called um, HS2 um, to the city of Leeds um, is now not going to happen. The rest of the line is going to happen, but not that particular branch. Um, there's going to be other improvements um, in the, the rail network in that area, but not HS2. Can you link that to the rule of law? Yes, uh, uh, let me give that one a go. So fundamentally, the government have made promises in its manifesto on which it stood, saying that they will take certain steps. Uh, and subsequent to that, if I remember rightly, they've also gone on and doubled down and said, yeah, we are going to do this. I know there's conversations about we might not, but no, we're definitely going to do this. And now the decision is that they're not going to. So I suppose the question from a rule of law angle is to what extent are you bound on a domestic level to comply with the things that you promised to do and that those things which got you elected in the first place? And to the extent that you do not, are you kind of somehow going back on those promises? And fundamentally, this then relates to the first limb of the rule of law, that everyone is equal under the law. The law applies to you. If you promise to do something, you should do it. Now, there are ways of uh, remedying that uh, within a democracy such as ours, which is at the next election, people then make a decision as to how much faith one might put in a manifesto pledge. Um, but I think there is a at least a casual link there between standing by the things that you're going to you said you were going to do and then following through with that. Even when manifesto pledges aren't technically law no, they're, they're, they're just promises from the parties so that's no and, and it's really there is a debate as to whether manifesto pledges should be binding i'm not quite sure how one would enforce that who do you who do you then enforce that against do you enforce it against the prime minister what happens if there's a change of prime minister during uh, a, a a parliamentary term um and it's now not the prime minister that stood on that manifesto is it the party chairman or what happens if the party chairman stand, uh, uh, steps down there are all sorts of challenges with enforcing that. But I, but I think that base concept comes back to uh, a government showing that it's willing to stand by the things it said it was going to do. What's really interesting um, with what you just said there, James, is that, that you know, you can see how that links to the mapping exercise you were talking about earlier, because actually, if you've got a strong democracy, if, if democracy is working, then that is a safeguard. If it's Fraying around the edges, it's harder. Absolutely, and you don't have to look far in Europe to see some democracies that are starting to fray around the edge. 
because of a lack of adherence to the rule of law. Um, Hungary, Poland, Turkey, all, all perfect examples of uh, theoretical um, democracies that aren't actually following key concepts of the rule of law. So you're absolutely right. Once those start to be eroded, you really do start to have a, a, a critical challenge. I think we definitely have to give you one point. <laughs> definitely got that one. <laughs> um, let's go on to our second, our second news story that I found for you. Um, deforestation in Brazil. Today it was on the news that it's at the highest levels in 15 years. And of course, this news story comes just a couple of weeks um, after COP. 26, where Brazil sent a delegation and they signed, of course, the COP26 agreement as well. Can you link that to the rule of law? So, yeah, this is a, this is a similar point in some ways. There's a couple of interesting things here. One, uh, I remember, I think I read this story and I'm pretty sure that the data on um, deforestation was prepared and dated prior to COP26 showing that they're actually cutting down trees at a higher rate than they have done for a, a significant period of time. And so, number one, it was probably held back as they made those COP promises. Uh, but number two, it's a similar point to the one we just talked about, but on an international level, which is to what extent are countries bound by the commitments that they made? So we've just seen COP26. Loads of people have signed up to taking certain steps to um, uh, avoid catastrophic climate change. But what if they don't? What happens if they don't? The point at which um, international law breaks down is the point at which we cease to voluntarily comply with it. Um, it's one of those things that I think international law experts um, probably get most irritated by, um, which is this concept of international law is not enforceable. It is enforceable. There are various bodies which try to enforce elements of international law. The United Nations Security Council, for example, can hand down certain sanctions, but predominantly international law is enforced by a self-regulatory, we will comply with it, methodology. So let me give you uh, another example um, on an international law level and then uh, come back to this one. Um, so you might remember the internal market bill that went through Parliament uh, a little while ago. So this was all about the Northern Ireland Protocol, uh, which is in the news this week as well, actually. Um, and in it, the government admitted, or in the debate around the internal market bill, the government admitted that they were intending to break their treaty obligations that they signed under the Brexit arrangements to a, I think the term was a limited and specific degree. Um, now, that was an example of government standing up and saying, I refuse to be bound by the obligations that I've signed up to. And in doing so, was a breach of the rule of law. Now, some people will argue that it wasn't a breach of the rule of law because nothing was actually passed. But that's the difference between breaching the law and breaching the concept of the rule of law, which is showing you intend to be bound by your obligations. And if you come back to what I was saying before, international law is all about, predominantly, parties showing that they are willing to be bound by their obligations. So let's go back to Brazil. If Brazil are hiding certain figures or not showing uh, a, a, a clean pair of hands, uh, as it were, in their, in their uh, negotiation at COP26, does that perhaps show that they're not actually going to meet their COP obligations? And that would be uh, both a breach of the law, but also a very clear breach of the rule of law in that you don't show that you're willing to be bound by the law in the same way that everyone else is. Absolutely fascinating. Um, really, really interesting to hear that dynamic between, you know, with international obligations. 
Thank you, James. Definitely a two out of two score so far. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if you can you can handle Nigel and I's third challenge for you, <laughs> uh, which I'm sure you will, having heard you answer the first two already. Going for the hat trick. The hat trick, indeed. Members of the environmental group Insulate Britain um, have been protesting on multiple occasions on different roads, including, of course, the M25 motorway around London. This week, a few members were sentenced to imprisonment for breaching an injunction contempt of court. Um, can you link this new story to the rule of law? Yeah, absolutely. So, so this probably picks up a couple of points. Um, one is about the independence of the judiciary. So the judiciary deciding cases on the basis of their facts and not without any consideration for anything outside of that. Uh, and the second is back to that first limb of the rule of law. The law applies to everyone the same. So insulate Britain uh, as a concept. I don't think you will find many people that disagree with the point that they're trying to make which is our home should be properly insulated, which will save energy, which will improve our, our hopes of battling climate change. As a concept, I think that's pretty uncontroversial. But it's clear that the tactics that they are taking at the moment to raise awareness of their point are quite controversial. And there are some people who will agree with it, and there are some people who do not. Above all of that, you have the law. And the law needs to take a delicate position here. It needs to balance the freedom of people to protest and to make their point and to have their say. But it also needs to balance that against the um, disruption to day-to-day -day life and society. Society should be able to stand a degree of disruption in order for people to have their right to protest. But the law and the courts have done that balancing exercise and said, in this instance, blocking a major motorway, potentially blocking emergency vehicles, probably is over that balance. It probably takes a step too far. So we are going to say in law, you cannot do that. You can protest in other ways, but you cannot do that. If someone then goes, okay, I'm still gonna go and do that. You then have to enforce the law. So there will be many people who support Insulate Britain who feel that um, custodial sentences for those people that have um, broken that injunction um, is uh, a, a, a massive either overreaction or uh, the wrong punishment in the circumstance. Um, from a pure rule of law perspective, the law is clear. It's clear from the sentencing remarks, if you read them, um, that the parties involved knew what they were doing, knew that what they were doing was in breach of the law and knew this was a likely outcome, at which point the law has no real option but to, in, but to be enforced. Um, so I think from a rule of law perspective, it's very easy to get caught up in the um, in the controversy or in the story or in the politics of it. And it's almost important to strip that away from it and just look at how is the law operating and is the law operating fairly? And in this example, I think it probably is. Absolutely fascinating. And it makes me realise actually that the rule of law is black and white in a way. And, and, and whilst there's intricacies within that, you know, it's quite, quite clearly set out. Um, okay, so I think this has to be a three out of three, James. Um, I'd like you to also note that I didn't bring up parliamentary second jobs, which is in the news this week. I thought that might be the easy one to, to, to do, so we avoided that. But Nigel, we always try to think of some practical actions here for, for our listeners um, to take. And I know James referred to a few earlier, you know, having the discussion and the debate. Um, the obvious thing that strikes me is on whatever day you are listening to this podcast, flick through um, a news app that I'm sure you have on your phone, pick a news story and do the same exercise that, that you know, we've just tried here. 
but but Nigel, I don't know if you had anything uh, that you thought of as well. No, I, th I think it's just so interestingly applicable, as you say, James to, and Fran, to the day to day. And James, the one point that I thought came through to me all through your in different ways throughout the podcast was this point of accountability. And I just think it's really interesting, actually, this whole thought of almost, as you say, whether it's the, the Northern Ireland Protocol or whether it's, as you say, one of the climate agreements that a government says that they're going to abide by, you know, where do you, where do you draw the line and how does accountability work in all these situations? I think becomes a really interesting topic, actually. So that, that's what struck me, James, coming through. And as I say, it's obviously every situation is really complicated um, in one sense, or as though you said, I think in your last example, you said, you know, you can be quite clear on this. So I don't know, that point of clarity and ac accountability comes through to me. But I think, yeah, in terms of actions for our listeners, Fran, I think that's absolutely right. I think be curious in the sense of when you're listening to something in the news um, and you've just, you know, just picked out three, four, five examples as you were going through there the last five or 10 minutes. How does this apply? How does the rule of law apply to this situation? What could you say about the rule of law in relation, in relation to this situation or what our government has just said or what's just happened in this court decision? So I think... I think that's just almost like an ongoing action, I guess, Fran, for, for all the listeners, just to, just almost, here's a, here's a challenge for them. Think of one thing a day, one thing a day that you hear in the news and just, you know, spend a couple of minutes just thinking about what does this, what does this mean in terms of the rule of law? I love that action, um, especially if anyone's studying public law, I think that'd be brilliant for them to do that. The other point just to mention, I think, here, Nigel, is it's really clear to me that the rule of law doesn't just sort of stick within legal boundaries. It, very interdisciplinary in nature um, and shows the crossover between law and, and other areas, you know, politics being the obvious, but, but you know, much, much wider than just that. Mm. No, I think that's dead right, Fran. And, and, you know, I think many of our students take that opportunity of almost doing a cross-disciplinary degree uh, when, when they come, don't they? Or you can do studies which cross-disciplinary. You know, as, as I've said many times, I think the future is absolutely, all, you know, the research I've done on skill sets and career paths and everything, the future for I think is about a multidisciplinary skill set in the future so I think you know some of the things James has been talking about here I'll hand over to you James to add something but I think it's absolutely great a great almost um discipline to get into this way of thinking that James you've been talking about all the way through today yeah I, I would say some of the best lawyers that I've met and worked with didn't necessarily study law at university uh, I, I say that with the caveat that I did study law at university so, but if you think about some of the other things that you study or can be interested in, look at history. You can go back through history and see tons of examples that are interesting from a rule of law perspective um, without being hackneyed. Let's take a look at Nazi Germany, for example. Uh, you know, everyone's favorite example when you're talking about history, but there you had an example of rule by law. There were laws and those laws governed, but a clear absence of the rule of law. And you can see echoes of that throughout history, of where the rule of law has genuinely been absent, even where law has been present. Um, if you study English, look at some of the authors that write about kind of either future concepts or past concepts. Uh, George Orwell's 1984 fundamentally is a story about the abuse of the rule of law. And how you might not think of it from that angle, but once you start to become, as I said earlier, intellectually curious on this topic, you start to see those links all over the place. And then you start to see what happens if the rule of law is not followed, is not protected. People studying technology and studying AI. It's so important that AI is developed with these concepts in mind, because it's very easy to train 
computers with your own inbuilt biases built into the programming. So if you don't try and train them with a view that everyone has a level of equality, then you're building in an inequality under the law into how a computer works out what to do next. Fantastic. James, it's been wonderful to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge, insights, and being so up for our bizarre little challenge and quiz. <laughs> Thank you very much, James. Fascinating. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. And please do feel free to look at the show notes. We'll pop some links in the show notes. Um, and of course, listen back to any other episode. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to share us on social media. Thanks so much for listening. 